Well, this morning we're going to continue a series we started last week. The, the title of the series is simply Gratitude. Gratitude, and it's a three-part series. Last uh, week uh, our um, message was titled Pay It Forward. Today I want to talk to you about enemies of gratitude. Enemies of gratitude. We have one more week next week, and then in two weeks we're going to have a missionary couple, the Sims, James and Melissa Sims, uh, missionaries to Belgium are going to be here with us uh, along with their, with their children. And so, but today I want to talk to you about enemies of gratitude. And I want to start off by uh, letting you watch this video. It's just about a 30-second video. And uh, it has to do with a sloth. Have you ever seen a sloth? I mean, like in person? Uh, I never have, but this is an interesting video. And it's, I'll just tell you, um, it's a grateful sloth. It's a thankful sloth. So you'll see what I mean. Let's watch this video. That is a grateful sloth. <laughs> I don't know if I would have the nerve to pick up a sloth. Uh, on the other hand, he would have been there a long time trying to cross the road. So uh, he, uh, that man did him a favor. Uh, even sloths are grateful. Isn't that great? <laughs> not wonderful? Even sloths can be thankful, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about gratitude, and again, if you uh, didn't hear last week's message, if you weren't here, I encourage you to look it up, because we, we talked about something very important concerning uh, the grace of God, and we talked about how gratitude is about receiving God's grace, and then uh, giving God's grace, paying it forward, as it were. And so uh, today, though, I'm talking to you uh, not about gratitude, but about ingratitude, uh, because nobody likes to spend time with somebody who is an ingrate, with a complainer, right? How many of you know people, don't raise your hands, and especially don't elbow the person next to you, but how many of you know people that are complainers? Nobody likes to spend time with a complainer. Uh, we avoid them, sometimes at all costs, because complainers drain us, right? They wear us down, they wear us out. And now, I read this week that there's scientific evidence, it's not new evidence, it's, I just found it this week, there is scientific evidence uh, to prove that uh, complainers wear us out and they drain us. There was a, 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 a 1996 Stanford study. I actually looked it up and read part of it uh, online. It's a 1996 study at Stanford that suggested that complaining uh, for long periods of time, in this case they said 30 minutes or more, can actually damage your brain. And not only complaining, but listening to complainers for a long period of time can damage your brain. And when I read how they, the scientists used some high-resolution MRI scans, and they found, and I quote, they found links between long-term stressful life experiences, long-term exposure to hormones produced during stress, and the shrinking of the hippocampus. What's a hippocampus? Hippocampus is a part of the brain. I, that's all, I mean, I don't. It's a part that's involved in the formation of new memories, and it's a part that's involved with learning and emotion. So it sounds like a pretty important part. And that part, they suggest in this study, that part uh, will actually shrink your, or that part will shrink if you are uh, subject uh, to somebody complaining, or if you're a complainer. Now we actually, I don't think we need. A scientific study to tell us something that we already know, to tell us that we feel bad when we're inundated with complaints from other people, 
for a long time. We feel bad even when we ourselves get into that habit and then we kind of reflect. We think, why did I say that? And so that's part of, of, of ingratitude. Now, the dictionary, Merriam-Webster dictionary, defines ingratitude as a failure or refusal to acknowledge receipt of something good from another. The forgetfulness of or poor return of kindness. So ingratitude, ingratitude, we might say, is a choice not to recognize good and kindness in our lives. The good and kindness that comes from God. It's a choice that we make that we're not going to recognize the good things in our lives. The kindness of a stranger picking us up off the road and putting us on the tree where we belong. You know, that we're not going to recognize that. And that's ingratitude. And the Bible is filled with stories that that come from a heart of ingratitude. Many of the, the most disheartening stories in the Bible begin with a heart of ingratitude. For example, if you know the story of Cain and Abel and how Cain killed his own brother, Abel, both brothers brought a sacrifice to God. And the Bible tells us that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable unto God, but Cain's sacrifice was not. And uh, God rejected his, his offering. God rejected his sacrifice, knowing that, that his, ultimately his uh, sacrifice, his offering to God, didn't come from a grateful heart. He was going through the motions. See, sometimes we think that God has to accept our praise. And, and God, who knows our hearts, and he knows what we say in the privacy of our homes, in the privacy of our conversations with, with people that we want to share a complaint with, he knows that we're really uh, ungrateful. He's not obligated to receive our worship, to receive our offering. He didn't accept Cain's because of that. He rejected his offering. And so then we saw as a result of that, Cain's ungrateful spirit led to this anger that caused him to kill his own brother. And then what of uh, King David? David the king, David the psalmist, who lived a blessed life, uh, anointed from his teenage years to be the next uh, king of Israel. God gave him, when he became king, um, met, uh, much success, a flourishing kingdom. He had uh, lots of provision, everything he needed. But the moment that his gaze shifted away from what God had given him, how God had blessed him, and he allowed his, his heart to follow his eyes and to look upon a woman that was not his wife and and cause him to covet what he didn't have way in fact he couldn't have the moment this happened his it, it as as an, an act of ingratitude and his ungrateful spirit led to him uh, committing at the very least adultery if not some have said you know really that should be assault because he was a king and you know he was in power over her and she's a woman and I can certainly see that point. And then he committed murder on top of that. So he was forgiven. And it's a beautiful story of his forgiveness. But even with that, the remainder of his reign as king was stained by, uh, by that sin. Uh, all because his focus shifted from what God had done. His focus shifted from the Lord's grace, from the Qadis that we spoke about last week, uh, to what he saw at hand. He forgot everything that he had, uh, every reason that he had to be grateful. And so I would argue this morning that this is a slippery slope 
this slippery slope of, uh, of their sins originating from a heart of ingratitude. And I think that this is uh, really um, a challenge for us and a danger for us that if we cultivate a heart of ingratitude, if we cultivate a heart of murmuring and grumbling and complaining, that that eventually will lead. There's a slippery slope that will lead to a sin of uh, sin of ingratitude will, will lead to another sin uh, that might uh, cause us to fail, that makes us spiritually vulnerable. Uh, there's a man um, who was a well-known British philosopher. His name was David Hume, and he was considered one of the greatest philosophers to write in the English language, you know, because we've got all the you know, the Greeks and Socrates and Plato and all those. But he, this guy wrote in the English language, and he, people have ranked him up there with those great uh, philosophers. And David Hume once wrote this. He said, of all the crimes that human creatures are capable of committing, the most horrid and unnatural is ingratitude. Now think about that. Think of all the crimes that he is listing below uh, ingratitude. Of all the crimes that human creatures are capable of committing, the most horrid and unnatural is gratitude. And the danger with ingratitude is that it begins in small ways. It begins with maybe a, a, a feeling of entitlement. Uh, and, and it's often masked by other things that don't look or sound like ingratitude, but they are. It's often masked by other emotions, by thoughts, by behaviors. And so it makes the spirit of ingratitude hard to identify. Because if we can identify it, we, we can work to remove it. But sometimes we can't identify it. But even though it's not a very apparent sin, boy, it can be a very costly sin. So let's go to the scriptures in, in the book of Numbers. You know, the most infamous example of murmuring grumbling, complaining in the Bible has to be from the people of God during the time of their exodus from Egypt to the promised land. It seems like throughout that whole period, from the time that God brought them with a mighty hand, with a strong hand, He brought them out of Egypt after 400 years of being there, more than that. Um, he brought them out and He worked miracle after miracle. Uh, the, the people of God, continued to murmur against God. They murmured against God's leaders. They murmured against Moses. They murmured against Aaron. So the story of their journey is a story of a lot of sin. You know, they'd leave God and they'd go worship uh, other gods. And then they'd come back to God when God would send a judgment. And it was a cycle. But should we be surprised that they were involved in that kind of sin when we understand how ungrateful they were, and how God really calls this out. He calls them out on their ingratitude. So it's a little context here. In Numbers 13, we read the story of when Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan. This is a land that God already promised would be theirs for the taking. They were to dispossess the people and possess the people that were there and possess that land. And so the 12 spies went in. And then they came back with a report for Moses and all the people. And the report was, this is a beautiful land. As they said, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a beautiful land, but we can't take it. We can't take possession of it because the people that live there are much stronger than we are. We saw some giants 
and, and we seem like grasshoppers compared to them. And so we can't, we can't take the land. Well, of the 12 spies, 10 of them agreed with that. They said, we can't take it. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, were the only two that said, we can do this. God called us to this. God gave us this land, and it's our job to possess it. We can go in and take this land. We can do it because God has given it to us. Well, guess who the people of Israel believed? They chose to believe the 10 spies with this negative report. And this is where they began to murmur against Moses. And we read this in Numbers 14. Look at Numbers 14, beginning with verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So they're grumbling against Moses. They're grumbling against God. He brought us out here to kill us. We were better off in Egypt. Now, wait a minute, Israelites. You weren't better off in Egypt. You were slaves. You were being mistreated. You were given the task of making bricks and without any supplies, without the straw that initially you had. How can you say we were better uh, it was better for us over there. I mean, that's a spirit of grumbling and complaining and gratitude against God. In fact, their spirit of murmuring and grumbling and complaining was so bad that here's what God said about them in Numbers 14, 27. Uh, look at this. God said, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? See, God knew that they were grumbling against him. I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. In other words, when we complain, God hears that. He, he, knows, uh, he knows about our ingratitude. He knows uh, about our, our murmuring. And uh, he said, I have heard the complaints of these grumbling added, uh, Israelites. And he calls them wicked, making it clear that even though they're murmuring against Moses, they're saying, let's, let's choose another leader. We don't like this leader. Oh, but he let us... Through the Red Sea. It doesn't matter. We don't like this leader anymore. We need another leader. Uh, well, they were complaining against, uh, murmuring against Moses, but God knew that they were really murmuring against him. So then Moses steps in and he, um, he had this to say to them uh, in Numbers 49. Moses was a great leader. He was an incredible leader. So what he has to say here is, uh, is right on. But notice how they reacted against him. Numbers 14, 9 and 10. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Now he's just saying to them what God had to, to do what God had led them to do, what God had prepared for them to do. And yet their reaction is they, they wanted to stone him. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Imagine that. It took the glory of God, it took the presence of God to appear 
to stop these rebellious people from going any further, from sinning further by, by stoning Moses and Aaron. Uh, I mean, it was this rebellion effect, this ingratitude, this murmuring and complaining was so bad that none of those people actually made it into the promised land. Not the 10 spies that uh, brought the negative report, not the assembly. It was only Joshua and Caleb and a new generation. So here's what I want us to remember today. Last week we spoke about uh, gratitude is recognizing and receiving the grace of God. And, uh, and then g- granting it, you know, returning it to God in praise. Remember that? We receive the grace of God. We return it to God in praise. And we give it to others, uh, extending the grace that we also receive. So I want you to, to know uh, this. To murmur, grumble, and complain is to reject the grace of God. This is why we started last week talking about Thanksgiving is not just ex- not expressing thanks, you know, articulating thanks with our words. Thanksgiving is not just saying thank you, but Thanksgiving is actually recognizing that we receive God's grace. It's actually receiving God's grace first, whether it's His grace of unmerited favor, whether it's His grace of a divine empowering. We receive God's grace. But when you murmur, grumble, and complain, you're not receiving God's grace. So you can't really offer thanksgiving to God. You can say thank you. You can say, I praise you, Jesus. But, you, uh, but those words are empty. They're empty because you haven't really received the grace of God. And that's got to be the first step to then return it to God in praise, as read in the Psalms last week, and to give God's grace to others the same way we received it. So anybody can, and Jesus quoted the prophet uh, about this, anybody can praise God with their lips, with their heart being far from God. Just this morning during a time of worship, I decided that the only way I'm going to worship God is by singing and dancing with my grandkids because they're just right around me. They, you know, they, they want interaction. And, and then uh, they noticed I had my microphone ready to go, and so uh, Piper pulled it away from me. Of course, I wasn't going to let it go, but I... I I put it in front of her and I said, say Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> and then Micah, say Jesus. Uh, not Micah. Mike, Micah can say Jesus. <laughs> I hope he can say Jesus. Malachi, same thing. Say Jesus. And he kind of said it. Uh, MJ, say Jesus. I felt like a TV evangelist getting people to testify. What did the Lord do for you today? Say Jesus. And uh, MJ said it well. But you can say Jesus and not really have, you know, the understanding of God's grace. Israel's complaining. Look, they had a physical need for food. You know, that's one of the things they complained about later. But Israel's complaining went way beyond their need for food, their physical needs. Their murmuring was a faithless act that insinuated that God's provision was not enough. God will not. Allow us to win this battle. God is going to let us die in the desert. Manna, quail, that's not enough. We need something else. I mean, choosing to be ungrateful for their daily miraculous provision and having a desire to go back to being slaves? Are you kidding me? That was rejecting God's grace. That's an example, a perfect example of rejecting God's grace and rejecting God's offer of saving them, of, uh, of salvation 
because Israel's salvation was dependent on them trusting God. And so, you know, they, were, they started, and perhaps they started with this, you know, small, small steps toward this murmuring that got to be so intense that they're ready to stone Moses and Aaron. Maybe it was a discontent. Maybe it was a whining. Maybe it was a gossip. Maybe it was a negativity, the impatience, just, just cultivating a, an attitude of ingratitude. And this is dangerous because grumbling, murmuring, complaining has a power to pull the strongest Christians away from God. Those that were once in awe of the greatness of God, the power of God can be pulled away from God through ingratitude. A temptation to sin uh, using drugs may, may not pull them away from God. A temptation to sexual immorality may not pull them away from God, but a temptation to nurture ingratitude, to be a person that murmurs, grumbles, and complains, those things can pull us away from God. And so the fact that Israel imagined that they would be better off dying as slaves than to be in the desert with God guiding them, I mean, that's, that's so hard to understand how they could arrive at that, but they did. They did. In essence, grumbling, what it does, what it did to them and what it does for us when we do it, it gives us a free pass to shift our focus away from faith in God's provision to the problems at hand. It gives us a free pass to, sh to, to shift our focus away from faith in the miraculous provision of God to the problems in our lives at they're just not working out for us. Now, God shows us in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, a very interesting pattern. This is after the fact. And Moses is giving a summary of what had happened here. In Deuteronomy 1, 26 and 27, we read this very interesting uh, tidbit of information uh, about the Israelites and their complaining. He's talking, about, he's talking about when they were called to go into the promised land. And Moses writes, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Can you believe that? But they're in the privacy of their tents. They think nobody can hear them, but they're stirring something up. By the time he got to the point where the whole assembly was ready to stone them, to stone their leaders, it had already been brewing for a while in the tents. They've been passing things along. Did you notice, Moses? Have you noticed? He's not such a great leader after all. And so they're grumbling in their tents, and they're saying, God doesn't like us. He doesn't love us. He hates us. He wants to destroy us. The psalmist in Psalm 106 reiterates this, speaking of the same uh, scenario or the same experience. In Psalm 106, beginning with verse 24, we read, Then they despised the pleasant land. That's the promised land that God had said, it's yours. You just got to possess it. They said, no, we don't want it. We can't go in there. They despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents. There it is again. And did not obey the Lord. Now here's what I want you to know. When we nurture a spirit of complaining privately, it often will explode publicly. 
When we nurture a spirit of complaining privately, we think, well, nobody needs to know that I don't like him or her or that I'm angry at this person or I'm with this organization. I'm mad at God. Nobody needs to know. I'll keep that in my heart or share it with you know, people that are like-minded. Uh, those things have a, a way of growing. If you nurture that, and then it'll explode in, in public. It just explodes in public. This is an affront to God. This is an affront to God. I remember years ago when my dad was a pastor, there was a, a situation in the church that he pastored where uh, a young lady uh, in front of everybody uh, after a service blew up at my dad. That was a pastor. She just blew up and started yelling and crying. And so she apologized. She was a wonderful uh, young lady and she apologized. But, you know, those kinds of things kind of begin to brew and, and, and if you nurture that, it's, it's going to come out maybe in some type of, of a very expressive explosion in public. Um, we can't just be complaining privately to our friends, to our family members, to fellow complainers, you know, just get them all together. We poison our hearts. To do that poisons our hearts. And it keeps us from from loving God and serving God and, and truly worshiping God. And we set ourselves up for failure. You can't complain privately and worship God publicly. You just can't. You just can't. God knows your heart. God knows what you say in the privacy of your tent. So when you go home to your tent today, be careful what you say against God. He knows your heart. And here's my last point. Complaining rejects God's grace. We said that. And it asked the question, why? Why? Now, I certainly don't mean that we're never allowed to ask God why. I mean, it's, it's something we do. God, why? I'm asking myself this question uh, as I was praying for Pastor Walt in the middle of the night. By the way, did y'all enjoy your extra hour of sleep? I'm glad you did because I didn't. I, just, I didn't sleep well at all. I'm usually, I'm one of those, I put my head down on the pillow and I'm out. And I just could not sleep. You know how frustrating it is to have insomnia, which I don't usually suffer with. And so I was awake at 1.45 and I almost, I thought, I may as well stay up and watch my phone turn back an hour and my watch, you know. <laughs> but I said, no, I'm going to try to sleep. But during the time I was awake, I'm praying for Pastor Walt and I saying, God, why? Yesterday, I had an opportunity to go uh, see him and and pray with him. It's the second time I've had a chance to do that. His wife wasn't even allowed to go there until this morning was, or yesterday was the first time she was able to go there since he's been uh, intubated. Uh, but when I was praying with him yesterday afternoon as well, I said, God, why? why? Why don't you answer our prayer? So many people. And so I'm not saying you can't ever ask God why. I, what's important is the attitude behind that question. The attitude behind that, that why. If we allow ourselves to reflect on, on our grumpiness, on our grumbling, you know, this, uh, you know, complaining, then what's going to happen is we're going to, we're going to form this unquenchable, unquenchable emptiness in our heart. And that's when we ask, why God? Why don't you give me what I want? I mean, this is a why that comes from a place of discontentment. And discontentment comes from a posture of ingratitude. This is something that happens when we choose to remain in the thought process of whatever God has given me. It's just not enough. 
Whatever he's done for me, it's just not enough. This is not what I wanted. This is not how I wanted things to turn out. There's got to be something better. Why me, God? Why can't I get what I want? This is grumbling. Uh, when the Israelites were hungry in the desert and they complained about how they didn't have any food and God sent them manna from heaven, God's food. And they said, I don't want manna. I don't want manna. I want something else. Then they complained they didn't have meat, so God sent them quail. And then they said, I don't want, we don't want quail. We want something else. We don't want what God has given us. We don't want manna. We don't want quail. That's grumbling when you say, God, I know you've blessed me, but just one more thing. Just one more thing. So I think we need to ask ourselves this question today. Is there a sense of discontentment in our hearts, in our souls? I mean, do, do we find ourselves stuck in the why? Why, God? Why can't you do this for me? That's a place of reflection we all need to arrive. That we all need to arrive. But let me tell you, there's good news. There's good news. Because grumbling doesn't have to be the end. Grumbling doesn't have to have the final say in our lives. God's grace is bigger than our grumbling. God's grace surpasses our grumbling. And what I mean is that He's gracious to forgive us when we look to Him, when we reflect and recognize, I sure do complain a lot. I sure am really negative a lot, knowing that I serve a great God. Now, I'm not saying don't ever deny, any, don't, don't ever uh, or, or admit, I should say, anything bad. You just deny the, the bad. And uh, I remember... Years ago, I was teaching about this, and I, and I made a comment about, you know, when you, when you think that you have to deny every, everything, like you don't want to say you have a headache. No, I don't have a headache. It's pounding, but no, I don't have a headache. You know, you don't want to admit it. Now, first of all, if you don't admit it, then how are you going to believe that God has healed you? But I made a comment about how, you know what, that's kind of a Christian science belief. You just deny the pain, deny the problem. Everything's great. And, uh, and sometime later, I was... Uh, I forget what the conversation was with Sister Emma. And, uh, and she was talking and she says, because after all, you know, we're not Christian scientists, right? And she had a way of saying that and just kind of looking at smi and smiling at me. Like, yeah, I'm glad you're listening. Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, we, uh, we don't, I'm not saying we have to deny all the bad. But I'm just saying you have to know that God's grace and power are bigger. And he's gracious to forgive and we can begin to move toward gratitude if we've been stuck in ingratitude uh, through murmuring, grumbling, and complaining. So ask yourself this question just to, to finish up this morning. How can I move the needle forward in my life to become a grateful person? How can I move the needle forward? How can I do that today? How can I do it this week? Practice uh, Gratitude. Practice expressing gratitude in, in your day. Include a gratitude practice. And don't just do it in November. Lots of people do it in November, and that's great. But as, as a way of life, be thankful and practice Thanksgiving in your mind. And if you feel stuck in the why, if you, if you feel stuck in the why, examine that. Ask God to show you why, God. Why am I stuck in this? Why am I always just unhappy. Maybe you need to release something to God. 
Maybe there's something within you that you need to let go and just trust God instead of keeping your hand on it and thinking, I've got to take care of this. Maybe you need to replace that mindset of I'm in control to God. You're in control and just thank God for that. And the beauty of the gospel of grace is just that, that it's a freedom that's based on God's grace. God's grace. You don't have to earn your way into a spirit of, of grace or into a posture of gratitude. You receive grace anytime. That's the beauty of God's grace. You receive God's grace anytime and you walk in it. So you've had a, you know, a lifetime of being negative and just waiting for other, the other shoe to drop. You know, that type of approach to life. It's just going to get worse. Okay, that's fine. doesn't matter how long it's been. You can always receive God's grace and then walk in that grace and gratitude. And that's what I want to challenge you to do today. The enemies of gratitude are murmuring, grumbling, and complaining. They're incompatible with grace and incompatible with gratitude. But I know that we have a lot to be thankful for. And uh, sometimes in church, it's easy to think about those things. What about come Monday? Do you still have a lot to be thankful for? When you get up and go to work, do you still have a lot to be thankful for? When things aren't clicking in your relationships, you're having to work through an issue, there's some, some kind of chaos in your relationships. You know, sometimes we've got to go through that tunnel of chaos in relationships to come out at the end, you know, the other side where there's light. Embrace those moments and thank God that you can work through those moments with his help. And so today, I just want to invite you to pray as we turn to the Lord for help in becoming men and women who are thankful and who express their thanksgiving, who return their thanksgiving to God in praise. Can you imagine if this place, everybody who comes here, come to worship, can you imagine if we come having nurtured gratitude during the week and we come ready to, to return God's grace to Him uh, through praise, and return God's grace to each other. Can you imagine what kind of church this would be? An exciting church, an excited church, a blessed church. And that's what we can be. That's what God calls us to be. Would you bow for prayer at this time? Heavenly Father, I just come before you today, Lord, to thank you for your word. There's so much for us to learn, to learn, Father. And, and uh, sometimes I surprise myself at how much I still have to learn and how far I still have to go. But I thank you that you are faithful to teach us and your grace changes us. Your grace allows us to receive forgiveness. God, I, I pray that you would just teach us, help us to be filled with gratitude. Yes, trouble will come. Yes, we might even say, God, why? Don't you answer my prayer. Why is this happening? But the attitude behind that, let it be one of continued trust in you. And then like Job, we might say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's the kind of worship that we want to give to you. A thankful, a grateful worship. So today, Father, we want to just thank you for that. Thank you for that in our prayer. Thank you for that in our song. And thank you for that in our lives this week. We pray in Jesus' name.